Like, okay, I am large. I am a large Goliath. Let me grapple a purple worm. The whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond the Character Sheet, a podcast about creating and playing fun characters for Dungeons & Dragons, from stats to table antics. Each episode, we'll talk through character sheets, item sets, and points of personality that can make your next adventure one to remember. Alright, thanks for tuning in, listener. Welcome back to Beyond the Character Sheet. I'm Sean, with me is TJ. Hello. And today, we're talking about our designs on a luchador character, a martial class. Uh, this one spawned out of an idea I had for a one-shot that never actually played, and uh, TJ, you've helped me kind of iron out some of the details. Do you want to do a little intro here? Uh, yeah, so first thing I want to say is I think this is really cool. Uh, it really showcases how roleplay can change a build because the two of us have both played characters that are mechanically very similar to this. And this is mechanically similar, but roleplay-wise, it is very, very different. And I, I like that about the build. Yeah, I, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So we will go through our normal order of operations here. Let's talk about the actual character sheet before we go beyond it yeah so i have a couple of uh builds here i have one just like we did in the last episode i have one that is a standard array and one that is rolled right and a quick recap for anybody who has new standard array is you have a predetermined values yes and uh rolled you don't you you determine at random what your stat numbers are going to be and the trade-off there is a uh, uh, stability versus uh you know restriction if you're going with the predetermined, you know you're not going to get anything super low, but you're also not going to get anything super high. So with the uh, standard array build, I went, I made two choices here. One, I went with a Luxodon as the race. Two, I went as fighter, full fighter for the class. And I made those choices for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is the Luxodon, because they get that uh, natural armor, where their armor is 12 plus their constitution modifier, so they don't have to worry about dexterity at all. And then the other reason is they have their trunk, which it specifically says that they can use their trunk to grapple someone. So they effectively have a, a third appendage, right? Would that give them any, any actual benefits in combat? Um, only for grappling. Okay. It says that they can't use it to hold a weapon. They can't use it to hold a shield. They can't do anything, but they can grapple with it. Okay. Could they hold a weapon and a shield and grapple? Yes. Very cool. Very, very cool. As, as you mentioned, we're, we're both playing characters similar to this, so I've, I've actually got a little bit of experience on this episode as where many others I probably don't. The character that I'm playing, I, I put my highest stats in strength and my second highest in constitution, and that sounds like what we're doing here, where, like I say, dexterity is really not a concern. Yeah. We don't really have to worry about charisma or intelligence uh, because we're not doing a lot of spell casting, if any. Right. So one thing that I did with this is we get a 12 for the standard array and I did end up putting the 12 into charisma okay just because as a luchador I wanted them to feel very bombastic and very uh you know charismatic so I wanted that at least a plus one okay I felt like if I was gonna put the 12 anywhere into intelligence wisdom or charisma it felt more at home in charisma I think that's a I think that's a good call um and then of course I went with the 15 in strength and the 14 in constitution and then as a luxodon with the plus two and plus one I put the plus two in 
constitution and the plus one in strength, leaving them both at 16. And then as for uh, fighter levels, I went, of course, all levels in fighter. I built it up to level 10. Uh, fighting style at level one. We obviously want unarmed fighting. Unarmed fighting makes our attack rolls uh, a D8 when we have both of our hands free. And if you are grappling them with your trunk, you have both of your hands free. And I went with Battlemaster for a couple of reasons. Battlemaster has some really cool maneuvers, one of them being tripping attack. And here's the thing, when someone is knocked prone, all melee attacks against them have advantage. And in order to stand up, it requires half their movement. If they are grappled and prone, their move speed is zero. And if it takes half their movement to stand up, they can't stand up. Interesting. So you can you can basically get um, what would be like a, like a wrestling pin. Right. Basically, you could knock them over and grapple them, and that is effectively the the end for for that opponent right um then level three like i said we get the battle master maneuvers we get trip attack and then at level four we want to go with tavern brawler now tavern brawler is slightly redundant because it's going to give us a d4 damage die on our unarmed strikes and we already have a d8 damage die on unarmed strike but it's also going to enable that bonus action grapple so you can unarmed strike trip attack it lands, they fail their save, they're now prone, bonus action, grapple with the trunk. And now they're stuck on the ground. So even though we are looking at a luchador kind of character, which is uh, from my my brief forays into Wikipedia for in preparation for this episode, is largely based in a um, in a high flying kind of thing. This sounds like a like a ground and pound kind of kind of build here. This one's not sort so of. much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not uh and we will be able to add a little flair in roleplay. Okay. Um, and we'll get to that here in a little bit because of the background we'll be taking. Okay. Um, for the most part, build-wise, mechanically, it really is the ground pound kind of build. Another thing I want to mention here is at level three as a battle master, you get student of war, which lets you pick up a proficiency in any artisan's tools of your choice. And the roleplay opportunities here are immense. Um, this just adds so much roleplay to the character. I, when I was building it, I picked painter's supplies because I like the idea of an elephant painting with their trunk. I, I agree completely. That's a that's a great... <sighs> Please forgive me for the pun. That's a great stroke for this character. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to add that little bit of depth, to add, you know, like you say, some, some, some much better roleplaying opportunities than just they are a fighter. Right. And we'll get into that a little bit more once we're done with the actual mechanical build. Yeah. Um, but um, next, after fourth level, fifth level, we get extra attack. So now that enables first attack, trip attack. If it lands and they fail their save, they're knocked prone. Bonus action grapple. Now they're prone and grappled, and our second attack against them has advantage. Now, if that first attack doesn't hit, we have a second chance to hit them with a trip attack and then grapple them on the ground. So the character that I'm currently playing, like like you said, is mechanically very similar to this, and I actually have not been using that combo, so I'm glad you brought it up now because I'm gonna start doing that in our games. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a really it's a really powerful combo. Yeah, I've I've been underutilizing the grapple. I kind of assume it's a thing I'll use once in a while, but I think I really need to start doing it a lot more often. Because I did also pick Battlemaster and Trip Attack. So yeah. I've I've got all the components here and I just haven't been using them. That's interesting. Well there we go. See now uh Maybe, maybe just going over the mechanics of it will help anybody playing a character like this uh, kind of figure out some cool combos. Now, speaking of cool combos, level six, 
at level six, we get uh, another ability score impre- improvement. And I went with the grappler feat. Uh, so the grappler feat gives you advantage against any target that you are grappling, even if they are not prone. So if you don't knock them prone and you still grapple them, you still have advantage against them. It also makes it so you can use an action to attempt to pin them. And if you do, you are both uh, restrained. Now, what is the restraint condition? I usually know this, but I'm going to look it up just so I can read it exactly, word for word. Restrained says, a restrained creature's speed becomes zero, and it can't benefit from any bonus to its speed. So just like grapple. Okay. Attack rolls against it have advantage, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. And the creature has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. Okay. So it sounds like you might be able to take a shortcut and not have to, you know, land a hit, get your get your trip attack in. Right. Then land a grapple, you can just shortcut straight to zero speed, grappled. And then restrained. So what you could do here is, let's just give it a another round one of combat. What do you do? You come in, you swing with a trip attack. It hits, they fail their saving throw, they're knocked prone. Then you bonus action grapple, and then you, with your second attack, you make an attack with advantage. Then you action surge and pin them. And now both of you are restrained. Now, that seems a little redundant if they are prone. But if you can't knock them prone, doing that action surge and restraining them uh, is pretty great. Yeah, so you basically have two chances in any one round of combat to, to make this combo go off. Right, to make it so that your allies have advantage against them. And then that comes with another combo at level 7, where you get Know Your Enemy, which is really cool. You can size people up, size up their ability, as compared to yours, which I think is really flavorful. But it also gives you extra maneuvers. And with that, I would want to take Commander's Strike. Um, When you take the attack action on your turn, you can forgo one of your attacks and use a bonus action to direct one of your companions to strike. Now, if you have them restrained, all of your attacks are, you are also restrained. Your attacks are at advantage against them, but also disadvantage because you're restrained. So you're just making straight rolls against them. But if you commander strike, you can make your ally attack them at advantage instead of using one of your attacks. And stylistically, this fits in because another point that I was reading again on the wonderful source of Wikipedia that uh, tag team bouts are pretty common right. in Lucha Libre. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. And mechanically speaking, let's say you have a rogue giving them advantage on their one attack that they get for sneak attack and letting them get a sneak attack on your turn as well as their turn. Double sneak attack is always good. Do the benefits of sneak attack actually stack up? Uh, so sneak attack specifically says you can only use it once a turn, not once a round. Okay. So if it is your turn and you get your rogue to attack, they can use sneak attack. Um, then level eight, we get another ability score improvement. We don't really need another feat here. However, um, there is one that is fun and increases your strength again. So your strength would go up to 18 and that is Crusher. And Crusher, um, as you already know, because you have it and you've been using it, uh, yes, is once per turn when you hit a creature with an attack that deals bludgeoning damage, you can move it five feet to an unoccupied space, which is kind of redundant if you're grappling them. You don't want to be moving them around. But when you score a critical hit that deals bludgeoning damage to a creature, attack rolls against that creature are made with advantage until the start of your next turn. So you are just... You are a damage-dealing support character where you are just putting advantage on people as much as you possibly can. Well, then at ninth level, we get Indomitable, which is great. If you fail a saving throw, you can choose to reroll it. One of my DMs, and I think that our DM uh, likes 
to roll Indomitable as it's a legendary resistance instead of a reroll. It's just an automatic success. I don't think that breaks the game. If any DMs are listening, consider that change because, and this is my big argument, Indomitable comes back on a long rest. I think making it a once per long rest auto succeed on a saving throw doesn't break the game. It is very valuable, but because you only get one. Right. I, I still think that it's it's not game breaking. To give the fighter a, a legendary resistance. Yeah, and presumably at later levels, the competition is going to get a little more staunch as well. Yeah. Um, and then our final level, um, we get improved combat superiority. Those superiority dice go up to a D10. Oh, okay. Instead of a D8. So now most of those superiority dice, for anybody who might not have heard them before, and you can check me on this one because I should know this, when you use your maneuvers, you usually get to roll a superiority die and add the result to whatever your attack or damage is. Yes. So if you go from a, what, a D4 is what you normally start with, or a D8? Uh, you start as a D8. Okay. So going to a D10 is not as big as I thought, but still, still valuable. Yeah. If you're using it for damage, it's an extra point of damage on average. Okay. And real quick, so the, running down the, the stat block for the standard array build here, we've got our top stat's going to be strength, followed by constitution, and then dex? Or I'm sorry, no, then charisma. Dex and charisma would technically be tied. And then I chose to dump intelligence. I dumped wisdom on mine, um, which worked for me because the character I was playing, that was the arc I wanted to draw, was someone who really didn't pay attention to much of anything. Not because they were stupid, but because they were just, you know, kind of lazy. Yeah. But that's pretty much it for the uh, mechanics of the the standard array build. So for the next build, um, I ended up going a little bit of a different path. I went 10 levels into Barbarian instead of 10 levels into Fighter. Okay. And for the race, I chose Goliath. Um, so Goliath has an ability that the Luxodon also has that I forgot to mention, and that is Powerful Build. And that is, you count as one size larger when determining your carry capacity uh, and the weight that you can push, drag, or lift. So you could hypothetically grapple a large creature and move it about because you count as size large for the purpose of dragging or lifting. Now, don't a lot of the grapple features allow you to also go up a size? So if you... Hang on, I might have already gotten this backwards. Uh, yes, you can grapple up to one size larger, but I don't think... I'm pretty sure the way that the ruling works is you can't move them around. But with this, you count as one size larger, so you would be able to move them around. And if you have a really nice DM, they might say that because you count as a size larger, you can grapple size huge. That's what I was going for, is that if I count as large and I can grapple a size larger, I should be able to go up to huge then. Right. And I feel like some DMs will hear that argument and will allow that. And that is where this build comes in. Because this build is going with something new that just came out in a brand new book. The new D&D book, uh, Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. You're here first, folks. <laughs> that has uh, the Path of the Giant Barbarian subclass. Looking here, taking our first three levels in Barbarian, you get all the normal stuff. You get the Rage, you get Unarmored Defense, you get Reckless Attack, you get Danger Sense, and then at level three, you get to choose your Primal Path, and that's where we're going to pick the Path of the Giant. With the Path of the Giant, you learn to read and write Giant, or one other language of your choice if you already know Giant. As a Goliath, we already know Giant. Additionally, you learn a cantrip of your choice, either Druidcraft or Thaumaturgy. Druidcraft doesn't make any sense for a Luchador. Thaumaturgy does. 
I'm just thoroughly impressed that you can pronounce that T word. <laughs> thaumaturgy? Yeah, that thing has thrown me for a loop, like, yeah. forever. So, thaumaturgy lets you cause your voice to boom up to three times as loud, which is really the only thing that you need. You can also cause harmless tremors in the ground. You can cause flames to flicker. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. But the big thing for our luchador is you get this big booming voice. And I think that's really cool for, like, taunting your foe or for making grand braggadocious speeches. I do like that, yeah. Um, the other thing that you get is when you rage, you get two abilities. Crushing throw. Uh, when you make a successful ranged attack with a thrown weapon using strength, you can add your rage damage bonus to the attack's damage roll. That's cool. It doesn't really fit our luchador build. The other ability is giant stature. Your reach is increased by five feet. And if you are smaller than large, you become large along with anything you are wearing. So when you rage, you become large. Now, we already count as a size larger for pushing and dragging and lifting. So now we're going to be pushing, dragging, and lifting as though we were size huge. And since you can grapple one size larger, you can now grapple huge. Yeah, you should definitely be able to grapple huge, whether or not your DM would, would rule in favor of what we mentioned earlier. But now that you have size large and you have your um, uh, powerful build, now that you have both of those... I would be arguing with my DM over whether or not I can grapple a gargantuan creature. <laughs> <laughs> because I think you should be able to grapple a gargantuan creature like that. And if you went through all this effort of making this build and your DM doesn't let you grapple a gargantuan, maybe this is not the campaign for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your DM to quit being a stick in the mud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, looking at the build here, after we get all of that, which, let me make sure that's all we get. Yeah, that's all you get at level 3, which is a lot. That's only by level 3. That's only by level 3. Yikes. Then once you hit level 4, you get your ability score improvement. I would go with Tavern Brawler here for two reasons. One, you get that bonus action grapple. Two, we didn't get the unarmed fighting style that we got for fighter. So that 1d4 on unarmed strike damage um, is a big help. Because now you have 1d4 plus your strength mod plus your rage bonus. Um, level 5, we get extra attack. Level 6, you get uh, Elemental Cleaver, which doesn't necessarily fit with the Luchador build, but it is kind of cool. Um, when you enter your rage, you can choose a weapon that you're holding. So maybe I would argue that you could do this with unarmed strikes, but it doesn't necessarily fit. You infuse it with one of the following damage types. Acid, Cold, Fire, Thunder, or Lightning. And while you wield the infused weapon during your rage... That weapon's damage type changes to the chosen type. It deals an extra 1d6 damage of the chosen type when it hits, and it gains the thrown property. You can't throw your fist. Not without the rest of you already attached to it. Right. Uh, with a normal range <laughs> of 20 feet and a long range of 60 feet. If you throw the weapon, it reappears in your hand the instant after it hits or misses a target. So maybe if you're going to be using a weapon, one thing that I didn't consider until now... Tavern Brawler gives you proficiency in improvised weapons. Mm -hmm. So what's to stop me from picking up a chair? I was, yeah, just about to say, like, how prevalent do you think folding chairs are in the D&D universe? And infusing it with fire, and then throwing a fire chair, and it does an extra damage, an extra D6 of damage, of fire damage, and then it reappears back in my hand. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds like a fight winner to me. Yep, that's cool. Okay, I take back what I said about this not really fitting the build. It, it could totally work. 
And I, I could see this being, you know, like if if you're typically going for an unarmed kind of fighter, I could still see this being useful as like a finisher or something. Yeah. This is your big, you know, end of the battle. You leap off the, oh, what are they called? Is it a bar hitch or uh, whatever the turnbuckle? Yeah. This is your big ending move. Um, another question is, if I'm size large and I'm grappling an enemy and they are size medium, and I count as size huge for the purpose of pushing, dragging, and lifting. Could I infuse the person I'm grappling with fire and then use them as a weapon to hit their allies? <laughs> <laughs> Again, if your DM doesn't let you do that, just go find another campaign. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like this idea a lot. Rule of cool, people. We're going with the rule of cool. Absolutely. And then, uh, where are we at? Level six. At level seven, you get your feral instinct that all barbarians get. Then at level eight, you get another ability score improvement. Here, I would go with either grappler or a crusher. Crusher would increase your strength by another point and give you that uh, uh, crit effect. Grappler would let you do that pin ability and give your allies advantage against a target. I would say our other build was more of a support build with the fighter, and this is kind of more of a getting in there, tanking, and damaging build. Which I kind of like stylistically. We'll we'll touch on this once we get to the roleplay section, but I, I do like that they serve two very different purposes. Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, tag team earlier. These two builds could exist together. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Could be partners. I like that a lot. But I would say, depending on what you want, go with either Crusher or Grappler here. And then at level 9, you get Brutal Critical, which is really nice. Uh, so whenever you roll a critical, you do an extra uh, weapon damage die. And then finally, at 10th level, you get the ability that I am most looking forward to, Mighty Impel. Uh, your connection to Giant Strength allows you to hurl both allies and enemies on the battlefield. <laughs> As a bonus action, while raging, you can choose one medium or smaller creature within your reach and move it to an unoccupied space you can see within 30 feet of you. I like how they say you move it. You're throwing. <laughs> you are throwing that thing. Moving it through the air. Yes, you move it to an unoccupied space you can see within 30 feet of yourself. An unwilling creature must succeed on a strength saving throw. DC equals 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength modifier to avoid the effect. If at the end of this movement the thrown creature isn't on a surface or liquid that can support it, the creature falls taking damage as normal and landing prone. So you can just pick somebody up and throw them 30 feet into the air and then they fall and take fall damage and land prone. <laughs> and that is a bonus action. That's <laughs> a bonus action, oh my god. <laughs> what do you suppose the save roll is for being imbued with an element? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. If you're playing this character and they get hit by a mage's lightning bolt, and then they pick someone up and imbue them with lightning and throw them back. Yeah. <laughs> Just... Oh my god, I just thought the the weapon for uh, Elemental Cleaver, if you throw it, it returns to your hand. So if you pick somebody up, imbue them with lightning, and then throw them at someone, do they return to your hand? That's what the rules say. That's what the rules say. <laughs> you can just yo-yo them back and forth. <laughs> rules is written. If I'm using a person as an improvised weapon... <laughs> <laughs> They're basically the ball on a paddleboard. <laughs> Oh, I think we might have broken the game. <laughs> yeah. 
but all that said, that those are the two builds mechanically. With that, um, let's talk about the description side of things with the background. Oh, right. Because I ended up going with the same background for both builds. Okay. And I want to give an honorable mention to the folk hero background. Because I think the folk hero background is really cool. It gives you another set of artisan's tools. Oh. And it gives you proficiency in land vehicles. And it gives you proficiency in survival and animal handling. Interesting. Which are cool. Um, but what I like about it is the background feature is rustic hospitality. And it says, since you come from the ranks of the common folk, you fit in among them with ease. You can find a place to hide, rest, or recuperate among other commoners unless you have shown yourself to be a danger to them. So this is just the common folk like you. And I like that. Yeah, and I think that also stylistically fits really well with the idea of a luchador because typically that is, that actually sounds a lot like how they typically come to be and where they get their fame. Yeah, and then the other one, the one that I think we would end up going with with both of these is the gladiator background. Yeah, easy pick. It's the, uh, the what do you call it? The alternative entertainer background mm -hmm. is the gladiator background. And this gives you proficiency in acrobatics and performance. Perfect. Which are perfect. It gives you a tool proficiency in the disguise kit. Oh, also useful. And it gives you proficiency in an instrument. And as a Luxodon, I chose a horn because I like the idea of an elephant playing the horn with its trunk. <laughs> and again, all this stuff certainly comes back into role-playing as, as valuable ways to make the character more interesting outside of combat. Yes. And you could really uh, get into that whole idea of, you know, when I put on the mask, I am this bombastic fighter. And, you know, when I'm not wearing the mask, I like to paint and practice with my horn. That I play with my nose. <laughs> that I play with my nose. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Uh, and then the background feature for Gladiator, of course, is by popular demand. And it says you can always find a place to perform in any place that features combat for entertainment, which just suits the luchador. Yeah, it's exactly what we're going for. It is exactly what we're going for. So, uh, segue aside, do you have any items that you want to talk about for this one? Uh, no. So, with the roleplay, I think we covered a little bit of it. I really like the extra tool proficiency. I really like the extra uh, instrument proficiency for the gladiator background. I think that gives a lot of roleplay role potential. Yeah, so I'm going to touch on a couple of the things that I, I skimmed over in preparation. I didn't go super in-depth for a lot of this. I didn't want to do a, a full-on book report. I didn't really want to bore anybody with, oh, here's the full history of Lucha Libre, and here's everything you need to know about it. I just did what I think anybody else would do, and I went and skimmed Wikipedia to kind of get an idea of who I'm trying to create. A lot of the stuff people probably already know by cultural osmosis, it's it's big on, on the masks. It's very much about a persona that the wrestler puts on when they're in the ring. Uh, these masks can have imagery that evokes uh, gods or animals or legendary heroes, which fits with our folklore background. If the wrestler is not themselves the hero of folklore, they could evoke that hero with their ring persona. In a similar vein to like American professional wrestling, there are kind of in-ring characters that they play. Lucha Libre would often have uh, what they call uh, Rudos and Technicos, 
which is basically bad guys and good guys. Uh, your Rudos are, are tough guys who are likely to bend the rules and maybe play a little dirty. Technicos are your good guys who are uh, very much about skill and technique. And so you could take those really kind of whichever way you want. I'm thinking about it and I kind of feel like either one fits either of our previous builds. Yeah. If you take the Loxodon build with the ground and pound, that sounds like a tough guy to me. That sounds like someone who might be yep. inclined to fight dirty. You know, they're going to get a pin and they're going to get a few cheap shots in. But at the same time, your your Goliath build, who's got the the T word that I can't say that can yell really loud, <laughs> can also, you know, just talk up a big show and and be very intimidating in a, in a uh, maybe even a sinister way. And you could just as easily flip either of those to the Technico side and say they're they're an in-ring good guy. Yeah. Which also fits again to the background of of the folk hero. You can be uh, similar to some of these real life wrestlers that I that I read about are basically movie stars and and they're all you know we we fight for justice and the good of the people. They're wrestlers. It's all for entertainment, but they they put on that that kind of persona. Yeah. So so back to the masks. Those those are really kind of the core feature. Those are really what I zeroed in on as. And an easy bar of entry. Again, everybody kind of kind of knows that about Lucha Libre, and I feel like it's an easy thing to incorporate into the character, and it can give you some dramatic angles to play. So taking the mask off is a big deal, as I have read. So matches could be set up where the participants will wager on who's going to win, and the loser might have to take off their mask, and that's that's a big deal. That could be as severe as the end of a wrestler's career, or it could be as minor as you know changing their gimmick as just the end of that in-ring persona which gives uh, you, the player, some interesting opportunities that if you do ever, for whatever reason, lose a fight and your mask gets taken off, your character's not done. You now have the creative freedom to come up with a new ring persona. That's really cool. I think that's cool. A little less cool, sometimes they claim hair as a trophy. Oh. The loser would have to shave their hair. Oh. <laughs> so do that if you want, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think the, the the world of Lucha Libre offers a lot, I think, in terms of, of fun ways to, to realize this in-ring persona. Now, to get to the character side of it, I think there's a lot of good opportunities there as well. And the one that I think might be the most valuable is the fact that your masked persona and your non-masked persona could be completely different. Yes. So one of the things I took note on here is I was trying to think about what kind of arc the character could could be following and what kind of sets the tone for that arc. And so the original character that I was going to play was going to be a relatively happy guy. It was, you know, it was going to be a guy who was, you know, exiled and, and working his way back into his tribe as a way to prove himself. And that was, at the end of the day, a good thing for him. He was he was looking forward to the opportunity to go out and fight more people and, and kind of, you know, climb his way back and prove his worth. But you could just as easily make this character, you know, sour or embittered or disillusioned. And maybe they put on this mask and they do the fighting because they feel like they have to. You know, maybe they don't like it. Maybe they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I like the idea of that uh, the person who's doing it out of obligation, but they are the good guy persona. Yes. And like they, they really don't want to do it anymore, but like when they put on the mask, they are this, you know, beacon of justice. Yeah, they're out signing autographs and kissing babies and yeah. having a good time, and then as soon as the mask comes off, they're going to the bar, they're getting drunk just so they can cope with everything, and they're like, I, I hate this, I can't wait for this to be over. Yeah. I wanted my character to be um, proficient in animal handling. Yeah. Uh, because what they wanted to do was be a goat farmer. Yeah. 
and, and wrestling is just what was expected of their tribe is just what everybody does there so he's like yeah of course i do this but it's not really what i want to do right let me jump over to a couple of it's a little scatterbrained but let me jump over to some of the name guys so the the big names that i found in lucha libre were mil mascaras el santo and blue demon so el santo and blue demon actually were around the same time i think they they fought each other in a couple of cases uh, and it's kind of interesting because one of the bouts between El Santo and the Blue Demon catalyzed a character change. I think uh, the Blue Demon went from one of these bad guy characters to a good guy character after losing a bout against El Santo. Oh, okay. So right there is, again, you can actually do a lot with this. You don't have to commit to any one character and play the whole way through. That's really cool. It gives you a lot of freedom without just saying, yeah, do whatever you want. You know, it, it puts some meaningful kind of boundaries up and then let you play around in the sandbox. A lot of these guys, like uh, Mil Mascaras, got started on an international circuit. You know, they went from doing local matches and then they got picked up and they traveled around and they did they did shows in, in other countries. They introduced the sport to other places. El Santo was buried with his mask on. Wow. He went all the way to his, you know, when he was, when he finally died and was interred, he kept his mask on. When they traveled, and here's another fun uh, role play thing, when they traveled, they would keep their mask on. If they were going somewhere where they had to show their face, say at like customs, uh, they would travel separately from the rest of their crew, so their crew never got to see their face. Wow. So the identity went so deep that even the people they worked with never got to know who they were. Uh, and that could be a really fun thing too. Maybe your player doesn't show their real face or their real personality to the party. Yeah. I, that's that's going to be kind of weird because you're going to have to have one of those meta moments where your character is going to have to do stuff outside of the mask at the table with everybody else, um, but the other character characters maybe don't know about it right i like that a lot yeah and i think it leans into the fun idea of like you could have a lawful aligned character or a good aligned character who puts on a mask and plays a bad guy in the ring maybe the party doesn't like him but he just has to tolerate that you know that's just what he has to put up with because this is the character that he has to play when he puts the mask on yeah or the or vice versa he could be a complete turd yeah where i'm imagining this uh like super good guy who's like you know, the this beacon of justice who's with the party. And then as soon as they, like, rent rooms at an inn, he goes into his room, takes off the mask, and then goes to the bar, and he's just, like, super cynical. Yeah. And then the rest of the party has no idea it's him, and they just meet this super cynical guy at the bar, and they're like, man, this guy's an asshole. Yeah, he, he's a complete asshole. Or he plays the good guy under the mask, and when he takes it off, he's a complete snake. Yeah. He's out rigging matches, trying to steal as much <laughs> yeah. money as possible. He is just he's just a selfish bag of dirt. Yeah. But he plays a good guy in the ring, so people like him. Yeah. Uh, so I talked a little bit about arcs, and that was one of the things I think could be could be fun if you're taking maybe a, a happier arc. The arc that I wanted to take was the rather familiar one of sportsman learns to play on a team. If we're playing a, a loud, flashy wrestler who is used to taking center stage and riling up crowds and getting standing ovations and flowers and various undergarments thrown at him, this could be a great opportunity for this character to learn some humility. Yeah. He hooks up with a band of others who have to work together to achieve their goals. Uh, you could take some moves in combat they're deliberately against maybe the party's goals. So in early stages of combat, you could have a little bit of role-playing fun with it and go do things that maybe don't benefit the party. Please don't get your party killed. No one's going to like you for that. But 
<laughs> you know, you could you could do something fun where your character is so busy showboating, maybe she doesn't realize that like, hey, other other people have goals they're trying to accomplish. Right. And then the the arc throughout the campaign is is this wrestler learning that hey, you you don't need to be the center of attention all the time. You can share. You can share, and more importantly, it doesn't detract from your value. Going back to that Loxodon build of of a fighter that is more of a support. You know, you could find that you're you're very valuable to the party in terms of combat and achieving their goals without being the party. Yeah, I like that a lot. The alternative would be the the more cynical take. Maybe this is something that your character's family has done forever, because that's another common thing in Lucha Libre is the wrestlers come from a lineage. They come from a family of wrestlers. So maybe this is a thing that your character does out of obligation. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. But it is expected of them, and it's how they earn their coin. And by the end of the campaign, they have taken one of those perks from their background or their subclass to pursue the life that they really want. Maybe they are going to go be a goat herder. Maybe they do want to be a painter or a, a trumpet player or, or anything other than someone who has to get sweaty and dirty and slap other people around for a living. Yeah, this has given me a lot of ideas. I, I want to play a character like this. Spit them out. What you got? No, I just... I. I really, uh, everything that you're saying is inspiring to me. Oh, I'm touched. I, uh, I really want to play this, uh, I really want to play one of these characters. I, I don't know which one I would have more fun with. The, the one who is the good guy mask persona who hates it, or the bad guy mask persona who it's his passion. Who really relishes it, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, going back to one of your earlier points, both of these characters could be on the party together. So if we're in another campaign, you and me, we're going to tag team it. Yes. Yeah, that would be great. That would be a lot of fun, actually. So listener, if you've got friends who also like playing pretend, sign them up. <laughs> go, go sit at a table with a bunch of other grownups and... Yeah, it's, this is a duo character idea. Oh, man. What a great time. Yep. I've had plenty of uh, duo character ideas that we might get into on this show, so... They're fun. Uh, the campaign you and I are currently in, I think you've kind of got one of those going, and it works out well. Yep. And I think it'd be really cool to see it work out in the mechanical side of it, like actually in the combat, to see that combo go off as like, no, these two characters actually work together. They don't just have fun dialogue outside of combat, they actually have a, a cohesive function on the battlefield. Yes. Yeah, this worked out perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, as as we've been saying this whole time, I think it really, I think it offers a lot of opportunity. I think, like you were saying, it's a it's a very stable mechanical build. It's got its job in combat, and then the real fun comes from what you do with it, the, the flavor that you add to it outside of combat. Yes. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Character Sheet. We hope this episode has inspired you to create and play someone fun. This show's music was created and provided by Nicholas Mason. Find his work on youtube.com slash at Nicholas Mason. Contact us at btcs.hosts at gmail.com with your questions and comments. Join us again next episode for more Legends in the Making.
and I will demonstrate my wonderful segueing abilities as we go to the roleplay side. Segway <laughs> here. Yep, that was that was it. Yep. <laughs> nice segue. I'm a master. Uh, 